This episode of The Labor of Love is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code REALSIMPLE at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. And also Organifi Green Juice. Organic green juice delivered straight to your door. Visit OrganifiShop.com love and enter coupon code LOVE to get 20% off your order. Welcome to The Labor of Love, a podcast about marriage, family, and making peace with the people we live with. I'm Lori Leibovich, editor of RealSimple.com. As regular listeners of The Labor of Love know, I have a bit of an obsession with technology, specifically how our addictions to our phones, computers, and social media accounts impact our relationships with our partners and our children and our friends. I think it's safe to say that my guest today, Marouche Zamarodi, is similarly obsessed with these questions. Her podcast, Note to Self, is called, quote, The Tech Show About Being Human, unquote. A theme Manoush has addressed on her show since the beginning is the idea of infomania, something that the Oxford Dictionary describes as, quote, the compulsive desire to check or accumulate news and information, typically via mobile phone or computer. But as Manoush has pointed out on her show, The irony is that having all of this information does not make us more informed. I invited her on the show today to talk about the fascinating challenge she's kicked off this week on Note to Self as an antidote to infomania. It's called Infomagical, and it's an audience engagement project designed to manage the effects of the information overload on our brains, our relationships, and our creativity. Manoush, I am so thrilled to have you here today. Oh, Lori, the pleasure is mine. I am ready to get into it okay. with you. This is pretty much my favorite subject. <laughs> <laughs> mine too. <laughs> the beginning of the episode that introduced Infomagical yes. has a collage of sounds. <laughs> yes. They are clips from radio shows, TV shows. There's even the ring tone of an iPhone. And I was listening to it while I was making dinner. And just hearing your intro stressed me out so much. My heart rate went up. Uh I actually took a moment. I leaned against the counter and I was like, I I can't handle this. Even just that short snippet. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the anxiety I felt and whether or not you think that is a normal reaction to infomania or whether I am just a stress case. (laughs) I think, well, I have the exact same reaction every single time I have heard that montage, specifically the one where it's the vibrating noise. Like, it's a sound. You know that sound. It's on a hard surface, your phone, and it vibrates. And it makes, in addition to the vibrating, it makes like a banging noise kind of. Every single time I hear it, I feel exactly what you just said, that my pulse starts to quicken a little bit. I feel a little bit sick to my stomach. The other things that were in that montage were things like that everybody's kind of talking about. And right. here's the embarrassing thing. They were like memes, like clips from memes and TV shows and all the things that all are like when you walk into the office, they're like, oh, my God, did you read that? Or are you watching that show on Netflix? Or have you listened <laughs> to that podcast? And, it's, you know, I want to be able to say yes to all of it. I really, really do. But the problem is there are only so many hours in the day. And there was one quote in that montage that I actually didn't recognize. What was it? Well, 
Like when I said, I was like, wait, you guys, what's that one thing in there? And they all looked at me slightly pityingly. They're like, it's the panda video. Oh, yeah. Duh. The panda video. And I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah the panda video. Yeah. But it's so interesting to me that we all feel this pressure socially. We feel this pressure to be a relevant human being in this day and age. You have to kind of know what everyone's talking about. And then also personally, I think we feel that, too, like, I, I want to know, like, what's up and happening. And I don't think it's the same as what it used to be called as the water cooler moment. No, there's no such. I mean, the water cooler moment, you just had to have watched ER the night before. Exactly. Or when it was really good. Yeah. And that's all you needed to do pretty much for the whole week. Right. And, and now it changes by, like, the every second, second. second. Exactly. I just want to go back to the panda for a moment because I think you'll this will make you feel better or I hope it will. Okay, thank you. Um, I was on an email chain with a bunch of moms and journalists last week and the panda video came up and someone on the chain said that she had no idea what the panda video was until her six-year-old showed it to her. (laughs) So, I mean, and that's the other thing, too, is I think wisdom we're finding is no longer cumulative. You know, it used to be that as you got older, you knew more. And that's actually not the case since we live in in a linear, non-linear space now where someone who is 20 years old has just as much access to information as someone who's been around far longer. I mean, obviously, if not more, because they have more more time in the day and facility probably (laughs) with the technology. Totally. But so that brings us to the question is, what are we actually doing with all this information? Well, I think just to go back to the anxiety for a second, I think that one of the questions I think you're raising with this challenge that is a really critical question. And I've been wondering for years when we're going to get to the tipping point, when we're going to get to the moment where we all have to decide for our own well-being that we just can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Is that part of, I mean, do you recognize that question? I mean, I feel sometimes like we're, all of our relationships are going to deteriorate. Mm -hmm. All of our (laughs) habits are going to go down the drain. Our good habits will go down the drain. And that we're just in this moment where There is no way this center can hold. I try not to be down on it because I think the amazing people who've come up with these amazing things that we use, there are also amazing people out there who will Mm -hmm. find us better ways to use what we're using. But I do have to agree with you in that I feel as though I've waited long enough. (laughs) And I have to say, here's what worries me, right? I mean, I'm a mom. I'm 42 years old. I still remember what it was like not to have this stuff. And so there is a reference point to me like, oh, I don't want to be like, you know, rose-colored glasses and nostalgia. I remember when, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to be like that. But I do remember when. And I remember that I felt differently. Yes. Well, you remember boredom. Yes, exactly. And so what concerns me is if you have no reference point, if you have nothing to be like, hmm, this doesn't feel good because I remember when I felt differently, then how do you even know that there's a problem if there's no reference point? And that's the challenge with our children, of course. Precisely. And we'll get to that. And in addition to that, I would say that what's interesting about the gadgets and the platforms and the social media is they often mask some of the physical symptoms that can arise when you do feel like you've had enough. The blue light, for example, keeps you awake. What yeah. do you mean? It doesn't make me tired. I am so wired right now because right. I am so awake. It's a lot of the things that it does are are very uh, funny to use the word in this way, but holistic in mm-hmm. that they affect you, your reflexes. In ways you don't really In ways you don't even notice. know or recognize precisely. Okay. So... 
Let's talk a little bit. I'm, I'm, I want to go back a year to mm. the campaign you did last year, which was called Bored and Brilliant. You had 20,000 participants, and these participants engaged in a week-long challenge to rethink their relationship with their phones. I want to just go back to that and ask you, what were some of the biggest takeaways from that campaign, and how did it make you come up with InfoMagical? Was there any kind of bridge there, connection? Yeah. So Bored and Brilliant was really about um, our gadgets and rethinking. This sort of came from me when I, a couple times this happened, that I found myself staring at my phone and I didn't remember actually turning it on or looking for anything. I was like, whoa, what just happened? Time lapse. And um, I was realizing that looking at my phone had become a real reflex that I sort of felt weird if it wasn't on my person. Or And then it started to get worse. I had to be walking with it in my hand at all times. And I started to think – and actually it came down to like a moment I had at work where I was like, ah, I need some creative ideas here. I really like literally had the proverbial – blank page. And I started, you know, like, oh, how can I hack this? You know, how can I make (laughs) myself have better ideas? And I started to think like, well, you know, no big surprise. It's like when you're sitting on the subway or you're waiting in line for coffee, when your mind wanders, that's when the weird stuff comes up. Or the the shower. Yeah, the shower. So I still was showering without my phone. That was the good news. (laughs) But my phone, I was looking at it any other time Mm -hmm. I felt the slightest inkling of boredom. And it really made me wonder, like, well, could that be a problem? Like, am I missing out on something if I'm not as bored as I often used to be? And I spoke to uh, cognitive psychologists and neuroscientists, pardon me, who explained something called the default network. So this is a network in your brain that is in use when your body is doing nothing. It's different than meditation. Meditation is literally when you're trying to zen out, right? Mm -hmm. This is when your mind starts to go places and make strange connections. It's original thinking. It's also something called autobiographical planning. I was like, oh, what's that? That's cool. It is cool. It's when you look back at what's happened in your life, you make sense of it, and then you use that information to plot where you're going to go next. Pretty important stuff. I would say, yeah. Yeah. So what I asked people to do during that week was like, okay, so let's see if we can put away our phones. And I'm not asking you to zen out. I'm literally asking you to sit with your – like, and just Whatever think and, and see where it goes. This is not about being happy. <laughs> Sorry. It mm-hmm. might go there, mm-hmm. but it might go to other places too. And so, like, let's see what happens. And the results were surprising. Some of them were the smallest things. Like I had teachers saying that the kids in their class started – not only did the teachers start to have more eye contact, but the kids started to have more eye contact with With each each other. other. And like just that tiny little thing, she said it changed – actually, this was a a teacher, a a guy in Florida who was telling me this, that it completely changed the atmosphere in his classroom, which – was fascinating to me, just that he felt like he was having a conversation with them in a way that he wasn't previously. We also heard from people who were saying that, I mean, one guy wrote me, he's like, I feel like my mind has been in hibernation and I am waking up to my true self. Um, I know, sleeping better, playing his guitar again, Mm -hmm. having original thoughts. Well, I think (laughs) for me, one of the most terrifying things about the mindlessness of my phone use, and I've, I've heard this echoed with other people, and I think this, the reactions you got sort of point to this, is that feeling of you you do it automatically mm-hmm. it does become reflexive and then you lose 
all this time to it that you mm-hmm. don't even realize. And then there's this like moment where you kind of wake up, you mm-hmm. look at the clock and you realize that 45 minutes later when I could have been sleeping, talking to my partner, mm-hmm. reading a good book, having time with my kids or whatever it might be, you have been literally, and you can't see me listeners, but I'm doing the swipe motion. You've literally just been swiping a screen. And to bring it back to Infomagical, what you're finding and what you were reporting on is that that time of scrolling through the screen, it's not like we're getting anything out of it, no. really, right? Well, no. So I that's what I was curious about. So where Bored and Brilliant was about our gadgets, I, I, it started making me think, well, what about the stuff that we do need to take in? Because the expectations in society these days are are high. So how do we know... Let's say we're taking some time out to be bored Mm -hmm. every so often. Mm -hmm. But what about all the information that we still do need to take in? I was feeling, and I don't know if this sounds familiar. It sounds like it sounds familiar. There was a moment at night where I would have where I was tired, like after a full day in the office, on the computer, on my phone. I was tired, and yet I felt sort of a compulsion Mm -hmm. to continue to scroll. And um, there was a sociologist, Natasha Dauschul, who has compared swiping to the movement that slot machines have you make. That's brilliant. The constant, exactly constant. what it feels like. And you don't know what's going to come up. Yeah. Maybe it's going to be just That's the right, right couch for my living room right. on Pinterest. I don't know. Or someone's going to recommend an article. That's exactly. Gonna, like, share, you know, that you're going to want to share yourself. That's fascinating. So to me, I was like, so, well, I don't know, more mo- knowledge is power or, I don't know, mm-hmm. throw some cliche at me. Mm-hmm. Surely I'm getting smarter, though, despite the fact that – but I wasn't feeling like I was getting smarter. And so I spoke to another psychologist, a consumer psychologist, actually, at University College London, who told me – and it's very preliminary research on information overload. But he estimates that we only use 40 to 50 percent of the information we take in every day. So – I started to be like, well, what's the point of the other 50% right. that we're taking right. in? It's We're not using it. Right. In fact, we might be stopping ourselves from really putting to work the information we do take in from doing the deeper thinking. But what can we do to figure out which of the 40% we can get rid of and just focus on the good information that's well, that, actually helping us? That was where I was. And I was like, how do we do this? What do we even do with this? And Clay Shirky, the media theorist, you know, seven years ago, he said, we're at a point of filter failure. OK, but here we are seven years later and we don't have the filters, right? I mean, Google has some for your Gmail box. I don't know. I've got all kinds of issues with that, too. And the filter's not there. So I was uh, – this is what we were wondering. Could you be your own best filter? Could you decide just for one week – this is an experiment. I do want to say that. For one week, could you decide what your purpose is for your information? Could you set an information goal? And actually, neuroscientists explained to me they would refer to that as something called a schema. So, for example, if you're reading 30 articles about 30 different things, you're going to take in, they know this, that you will learn and remember far less than if you were reading 30 articles that were all related. So 30 articles about cowboys, you're going to know a hell of a lot more about cowboys than 30 articles about various things in the Wild West. That makes total sense. And so with this week, we're asking people to choose a goal. We've identified five, and we're asking them to purposefully take take in information that gets them closer to their goal. You're listening to The Labor of Love. When we come back, we'll learn more about those goals and help you figure out which one you should choose. I'm on the internet all day long at work. It's part of my job. And I'll tell you something, when I get to a website that looks clunky, has ugly colors, and just 
offends my eyes, I quickly move off. And that's the thing I love about Squarespace. They allow you, the user, to build beautiful sites that are intuitive with easy to use tools. And when you sign up, you get a free domain for a year. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code real simple to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Okay, here are the five goals that Manoush and her team have set up as something that we can all try to focus on this week in the InfoMagical Challenge. Be more creative, be more up-to-date on news, be more in touch with family and friends, be more in tune with oneself, or be more knowledgeable about one particular topic. Okay, so I read the five goals, mm-hmm. and I I'm having a really hard time. All of those things sound, sound like great. really great things to achieve and accomplish. So can you help us think about these goals a little bit and help us and our listeners try to decide what we should focus on? Well, I feel like I should ask you, mm-hmm. what's your guess as what? to the number one most popular goal that people have chosen? And I should say we've had over 20,000 people sign up so far. Okay. Yeah, but oh, I do want to tell your listeners, Lori. Also, we ran out of um, spots. There were a limited number of spots for the texting option that we have, where you text oh, with us and the team. Okay. But we're starting again on Monday. We are doing an encore performance. So, so there that's is... Monday, February 9th. Exactly. Okay, great. That's really good to know. I don't have. I mean, what's your guess? Who my do you, guess what do you think? is. I was surprised. I'm gonna guess be more in tune with one. Oh my god, you were totally right. I had no idea that that would be it. I was like, you know. Election season, it's going to be more up to date on the news. Okay. But that is exactly right. See, my thinking in there was that people who are doing this challenge are feeling alienated from themselves. Otherwise, they wouldn't be interested in this challenge. And they're feeling just, you know, completely overwhelmed by their media consumption. So they need to get back to themselves. I also think that the fact that you started this on February 1st is really key to that, too, because a million of us had our goals set you know, a month ago, and now we've forgotten them. Yes. (laughs) So, okay, my goal is be more creative because that's going to be my lifelong goal, I've decided. But I think what you're going through now is exactly what everyone goes through, which is, well, I want all those things. Guess what, people? Wanting all of them isn't getting us anywhere. (laughs) There's this great guy that we have coming up on the podcast, um, Greg McCowan. He wrote the book Essentialism, and he was telling me the history of the word priority, that it was only a couple hundred years ago that people started saying priorities and having more than one, Mm. and that really there was a reason why this was a singular word. That's interesting. if you're trying to go in 100 directions all at the same time, you're going to go one inch in each direction. But if you choose one, you might go 100 inches. So... We're really asking people to like you don't you can't have it all. Like I think that's kind of like the the lesson here is like if you really want to achieve something, it needs time and love and nurture and purposefulness. Attention. Yes, attention. So what are the kinds of things you're suggesting people do if say like for yourself, what are you doing this week to be more creative? Okay, so what for me What I've noticed was a bad habit that I was having, which was I want to read those deep dive articles, you know, the wonderful articles that there are. In the New Yorker. In the New Yorker, the Atlantic, the Slate. Like, there's so many good articles. And what I was doing was just saving them all into pocket. Oh, I have that, You know that one. And you're like, I'll get to this, but I would never, ever get to it. I was too tired at the end of the day. I want to make space for those articles because 
as you know, as fellow journalists, there's always that one sentence in there that jumps out at you. And maybe it's not even the purpose of the article, but it gets you thinking. Yes. I need to have more of those moments. And so I also want to go back to sort of, you know, English Lit 101, critical thinking. Right. What do I like that the author did? What would I have done differently? What is my takeaway from this? Reading something and then, duh, thinking about it. Crazy, I know. So for me, that's what it's going to be. So, but how are you going to make the time? It means not surfing Mm -hmm. as much. It means not saving yet another article that says the five smartest things to do first time you wake up in the morning. Right. I've read that article a hundred times. Yeah. Like, I know what to do in the morning. Just do it. Stop reading about right. it. <laughs> now, you know what I mean? Like, this is important. This is the most important work I do is to come up with creative ideas for my show. Mm-hmm. So that deserves time. my attention and time. Exactly. And, I mean, so the goal of being more up-to-date on news, mm-hmm. to me, it's a little antithetical to your uh, I mean I'm, I'm feeling a little bit like if I was yeah. that was my goal which it's not yeah because that would drive me crazy yeah is aren't you getting deeper into you know I think we live in New York and so maybe we forget that there are other places where maybe they feel detached from the rest of hmm. the world or they feel like they are not having as global a perspective as mm-hmm. perhaps they ought. And maybe it's time that they actually did know the difference between Shiite mm-hmm. and uh, Sunni Muslims. You know what I mean? Maybe it's time to really understand what's going on in Syria. So or similar in what you were describing, which is like taking a deep dive into some of these really important issues rather than watching on Facebook to see which high school friend, you know, had a baby. Yeah. To me, that's what it means. Is okay. It means knowing global events or understanding the election, really understanding the subjects. But you know what? You bring up a very good point. I really feel that there's only so far that I can advise people. What this really is, is figuring out what works for you. Yeah. And I think that's the key with the technology is you can't do broad brush, broad brush uh, rules for people. This is a very personal issue about, you know, how you use the technology. Is it part of your work? Is it how you stay in touch with family? Maybe you're far away. We all have such a different relationship to it that that's why we have to think earlier and earlier about how do we draw the boundaries? How do we find out that the ways that it works best for us? So with being more in touch with family and friends, I think that a lot of us feel, and I certainly am in this camp, that I'm sort of, quote, in touch with a lot of different people from my life Mm -hmm. and all over the world and the country through social media. And I do have kind of an idea of what's going on in their lives because I stay current. But what I'm lacking in is an actual, real, important conversation Mm -hmm. with these people. Mm -hmm. My guess is that being more in touch with family and friends would mean you have to get off your computer and you have to actually make a phone call or meet someone. That actually is one of our day's challenges. And I believe you've had Sherry Turkle on yes. The, yes. the show. Yeah, she's wonderful. She's so great. go back in the stream and listen to Laura's yeah. conversation with her. But she says you need to have a seven-minute conversation with people. And seven minutes is, you know, what happens in seven minutes is you, things might get weird. There might be some awkward pauses there might be some uh, stuttering. It won't be perfect, but it's that's what human relationships are. They're a little messy. They're not a perfect G-chat conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, so maybe for younger people that will be unusual for them right. to have a seven-minute conversation. And maybe for someone like you who has a lot of conversation, maybe it's like 
sending a long, thoughtful email to that cousin who you used to be really close with Mm -hmm. when you were 16 and you're not anymore. You think about her a lot and you see all her pictures, but you haven't had that connection. And you know what? Maybe it's just like you being generous and giving her some information about your life and seeing what comes back in return. I think what's interesting, just as a side note about our reliance on our our smartphones, is that most of us don't use them as phones. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, there was there's this great scene in Amy Schumer's train wreck where a guy actually calls her and she freaks out and she thinks he's like a serial killer because he's actually talking to her and wants to check in by phone. And I think that I feel that way, too. I'm always a little surprised when my phone rings and I assume it's like a doctor reminding me that I have an appointment. Yeah. Um, maybe my dad, but that I'm not even used to talking on the phone anymore. So make a phone date, I think, is the best thing to do. That's the only way it works with my busy mom friends. Like, Mm -hmm. we have to make a phone date. And actually, because of this one, I was thinking about it. My dear friend from pre-cell phone days, I called her, Mm -hmm. and we've made a date. We're going to leave our families behind. We're meeting meeting in a city halfway between our two cities. We're going to check ourselves into a lovely hotel and just, like, yak and maybe go yeah, for a swim that'd and be great. drink at the bar. I am so excited. That's awesome. Okay, so the next goal you mentioned is to be more in tune with oneself. This is the one that's been most popular with your listeners, and that's intriguing. What are the kinds of things that your listeners are planning to do in order to get more in tune with themselves? So it was interesting. I was talking to my colleague who chose this, and this morning he said that he read the news this morning like, he needs to read the news. He works in a newsroom. And um, and because he had gotten that out, out of the way in the morning, it, it was going to give him more time later when he would have been catching up that he was going to read a novel and just revel in reading and being alone with himself. And so I think you can do it so many different ways. But I think the key here is to experiment, right? Mm-hmm. And in addition to the goal setting, what we're doing each day is giving you a small, small behavior modification. So for example, day one is single tasking, no multitasking. So it's sort of a goal plus behavior modification, we hope equals magic. And then being more knowledgeable about a particular topic, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. But I think it also goes to the point that you made earlier, which is that we get this idea or this really, we have the illusion that we are informed about a lot of different things because we are constantly going through our streams. But actually, if you had, if you asked me to really explain how the Iowa caucus works, yeah. I, I, I know who's leading and I know like the top line things, but I don't understand the caucus system at all. Okay. So mine would be like, Ayurvedic. I'm not even don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I think Cooking. That's right. Like I, I feel like I've been reading little articles mm-hmm. on it for 20 years. I really want to understand what like the history of it is. Right. Why do people think it works? Am I a dosha or a pita? Right. Just tell me. <laughs> that would be mine. When we come back, I won't be able to tell Manoush whether she's a dosha or a pita, <laughs> but I will be able to talk to her more about FOMO and how it contributes to infomania. I'm one of those people who actually loves eating vegetables, but I just don't have time to prepare them. And that is why I am so thrilled about Organifi Green Juice. Organifi comes delivered to your door, and they've done all the juicing, all the chopping for you. There's no blending at home, and there's no cleanup. You just drink it and feel good. Go to OrganifiShop.com. 
O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I-Shop.com slash love and enter coupon code love to get 20% off your first order. Organifi is so confident you'll love it that they'll let you try it completely risk-free for 30 days. If you don't like it, even if you send back an empty bottle, you're still going to get your refund. Again, go to OrganifiShop.com slash love and enter coupon code love to get 20% off your first order. On a recent episode of Note to Self, you had a conversation with two people about the idea of FOMO, fear of missing out, something that I think we all struggle with in our social media and infomania age. We talked earlier, like the expectations of what we were up on even just a decade ago were so much more manageable. I think this is, again, a point of anxiety for people. You expressed it at the beginning of the show. And I wanted to talk a little bit about what people can take away from the knowledge that you have gathered in terms of what information is doing to our brains, um, what we're actually absorbing. You quoted the um, professor from Oxford, was it? Oh, yeah, University College London, yeah. University of College London. Talk a little bit about how we can talk ourselves off the ledge when it comes to FOMO and why we need to bring ourselves back. So to me, what's been the most eye-opening is the fact that we know the Internet is limitless. It is in an abundance of delights. But guess what? Our brains have finite capacities. And to be able to actually put numbers on that and know that it is something that you have no control of, I actually find very empowering. So, for example, neuroscientist Daniel Levitin told me you can actually only hold four ideas or thoughts in your brain at one time. So I got to pick up the kids. What am I going to make for dinner? Oh, my God, my closet is a mess. I really want to put those shoes away. And I have an early meeting. That's it. It's kind of a relief, right? Completely. Yeah. That's it. That's all you have. Mm -hmm. But do you want to carry those around with you? No. So write them down. Like, it really is that simple. Write them down and prioritize them. Another crazy statistic that I got was from Gloria Mark. She is a cognitive psychologist at university. Where is she? She's UC Irvine. Mm Mm-hmm. And she was telling me a couple scary ones. One, which was uh, 10 years ago, they started studying how people behave online and they were interrupting themselves like they'd be working on a Word document and then they would switch to like check Facebook. And this was happening like every three minutes. In the last year or two, we've started switching. Yeah. Every 45 seconds. Oh, my God. Which is crazy. The other <laughs> it gets weirder. Oh my God. So the other thing that they've now studies is something that I like to call the 23 minute rule. She says that if you're in a working sphere, you know, you're working, you're, you're on deadline, you're putting together this piece. If you are interrupted, it will on average take you 23 minutes and 15 seconds to get back to where you originally were. And at first I was like, there's no way. How is that even possible? But then I started watching my own behavior mm-hmm. and I would see like I get a call and then I take the call. Oh, and I better check email and wait, did, did she tweet back at me? Oh, I'm actually a little bit hungry. I think I'll get some tea. Oh, my God, 23 minutes and 15 seconds right. is gone immediately. Last one I have from her. It's yeah. so interesting. If there's an hour where you are constantly being interrupted at work, people are stopping by your desk, ping, ping, ping on your email. Even if the next hour things start to get more mellow and slow down, you will start interrupting yourself. yourself. Yes. That sounds familiar. We, right. I know. When she would say these things, I'd be like, 
Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, you can feel these things and you can discount them, but they are actually proving them in the lab, measuring people's heart rates, their stress levels. And that's what she said. I was like, so what are the repercussions other than being incredibly unproductive? She's like, stress. And stress, as we are learning, is nothing to sneeze at. It affects our sleep. It affects our longevity. It affects our relationships. Mm -hmm. It is no joke. I'm getting anxious. I know. Sorry about that. I'm going to take a deep breath. breath. (laughs) But I think it's a good thing because knowledge, if we know these things, if we understand why we feel this way, then we have control over it. It's like using the word FOMO, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, Katerina Fake, who is the woman who popularized it, um, was talking to her friend Anil Dash, another technologist who came up with JOMO, Joy of Missing Out. And they were saying, like, if you don't have a word for it, you can't really talk about it. Right. It's like the Eskimos have, like, 50 different words words for, like, snow, right? Right, Like, we have to have words Words for for all these, yeah, these new emotions that we're having. You've spent time on your show, and we've spent time on this show, talking a lot about parents and children and how both how parents are trying to raise their children in a world where they don't know boredom, where they don't know, for the most part, life before screens, and also what parents may be doing consciously or unconsciously to model not great behavior for their children. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what you've learned from the teenagers and the parents that you've talked to over the years about this issue. How are parents, my experience, parents are really freaked out. I think they're freaked out with good reason. Yeah. Right. There are some scary things on the Internet. There are ways that your children can see things or be talking to people that never would have happened before. However, there's a big however, right? There's also amazing, wonderful things that they can do. So I think the scariest part is how early we have to have conversations with kids um, that we might never have had previously. I'm sure you're familiar with Dana Boyd. Yes. She's a sociologist who wrote um, It's Complicated, a really great book for the parents of teens. And I will say, I don't have teenagers yet, so... I can talk the talk, but I'm not having to walk the walk (laughs) yet. But this idea of open conversation about what's okay and and telling kids to listen to their gut, to start to develop that moral sense of when they know something is not right. And you can't listen to yourself if you never spend time by yourself. So to me, that's what's so interesting here. We tell our kids, you know, you should be studying. You should, you know, stay home. We, we don't let our kids go out. We don't let them have as much freedom. But we tether them with these phones, the very things that we tell them to get off of. That's what I have heard from so mm-hmm. many teenagers. Wait, you gave me this. Yeah. You tell me I have to be on it all the time in case you need to contact me. Mm-hmm. But then I see you on it all the time. And you can't tell me not to be on it with my friends. So there's a lot of paradoxes going on here. And I think that parents aren't quite – I think parents have this idea, and I absolutely am included in this group of parents, that for me, I think of my phone largely as a work tool. Mm -hmm. And so somehow in my brain, when I'm on the phone, I've I've decided that that's more important 
you know, that's important because it's about work. And I'm not realizing that my kids are not seeing the difference between me just like tapping mindlessly, um, texting with a friend or tapping mindlessly, responding to a work thing. Did you read that, Susan Donnelly? Yes. Yes. I love that article. And that I really need to go out of my way to explain to them what I'm actually doing. So and that's helped a lot because they're not as angry at me for being on the phone when I'm I mean, they're not happy about it, but I can say to them, I'm answering a work email and I'll be with you in one minute. Now I actually show them. I'm like, look, this is something called a calendar app. (laughs) And daddy and I fight a lot about which period mommy gets to go to the gym and daddy doesn't get to the gym. But honestly, by breaking it down and showing them what we're doing, I think that that is. There's also a little bit. I mean, this is this. I would not recommend you do this with someone you're not maybe cohabitating with. But I often ask my husband when he's tapping away mindlessly in front of our kids, what are you doing? And often, you know, sometimes he's looking at Facebook. He's checking Mm -hmm. out Craigslist to see if he can get a used base. He's Mm -hmm. like, you know, Mm -hmm. looking up bike trails. And I just want to be like, okay, well, we're all here. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm trying to, you know, and of course I do it too. And he catches me in that. But I think there is a mindfulness that has to occur in all of these things that we're talking about if there is ever going to be movement towards more conscious tech use. Yeah. I I mean, I'm lucky. I feel like or maybe sometimes I don't think I'm lucky because my husband, I'm the one who's the like naughty person always looking at her phone. Mm-hmm. My husband has a real segregation between uh, God work. God bless him. And I, he's really, but he will look at me and like the daggers will be coming out of his eyes if I'm looking at my phone unnecessarily. Having said that, though, if he does have to look at his phone, you see that where their like soul vanishes. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It, like yeah. sucked into the phone. It's bizarre. Yeah. So. You know, I'm just trying to make it, and I was talking to a bunch of librarians at a conference the other day. We were talking about, can you make default mode places in your home for children? And I was like, oh, that's why my son takes like an hour-long bath. It's like the last place where he can just not chill. Yeah. Well, yeah. wait until he gets older and he wants to listen to sports radio <laughs> while he's in the bath. Oh, okay. Because that's something that's, to look forward to. Yeah, really. I want to thank my guest today, Manoush Zamarodi, and everyone should take a look at wnyc.org slash infomagical and find out more about the challenge on this show, Note to Self, this week. I promise it'll be worth your while. Thanks so much for joining me today on The Labor of Love. If you have a domestic quandary and would like to be a guest on our show, or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please email us at tlolpodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to thank our editor, Tim Einenkel, and our producer, Kristen Meisner. If you enjoyed the episode, please review and subscribe on iTunes, where you'll also find three more podcasts from Real Simple. You can subscribe to The Labor of Love at iTunes.com slash Panoply or at Panoply.fm. I'll see you next time on The Labor of Love.